We're going to be in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. It's going to be about two-thirds of the way up through a paper Bible. Matthew's one of the books that tells the story of Jesus. Uh, to get us started, a couple comments from some studies about sex. Oh, I said sex in church. Some of you just started to pay attention. Um, we're not going to dwell on sex today, but a couple, uh, there, it's an idea starter. One study, let's put it up on the screen. This is from the National Center for, for Biotechnology Information. And they have deduced or realized that, that helping behavior increases the desirability of men and women as long-term sexual partners. The title of that paper was Selflessness is Sexy. Some of you writing that down. All right, good to know. Next uh, article was titled, Being Altruistic, Caring for Others in a Selfless Manner. Being Altruistic May Make You Attractive. And it was a study of over a thousand people, and it concluded that displays of altruism or selflessness towards others can be sexually attractive in a mate. Here's my thought from those pieces of information. Duh. We don't really need to do studies to know that being selflessness generally, whether you, and just take the whole sex thing out of it, being selfless is attractive to other people. Can I get an amen? Like, that's just true. I have yet to hear, maybe I'll hear it someday, I have yet to hear someone say, wow, I like that guy. He is so self-centered. Like, that just never happens. Most of us would agree even small, selfless, or sacrificial acts help build rapport between people. Little things like when you'll see someone go the extra mile and wait and hold the door for you. And when you know it was, you know, they waited a long time to hold the door for you when you're going into the store. Right away, what I think is I like that person. I don't even know them, but because they do that, it just creates affinity. Sometimes through current friendships, someone will do a sacrificial act, and it makes you like them more. A year and a half ago, my mom passed away, and one of my friends, we were friends before, but he and his wife drove from Kentucky up to northern Indiana, five-hour drive-ish, just to attend a 40-minute funeral service for my mom. Then they got back in their car and drove back to Kentucky. And I, when I saw them there, the first thing I said was, what the heck are you doing all the way up here? And I don't remember exactly what he said, but it, you know, it was something like, we're friends. And it made me go, gosh, I like you, right? Sacrifice opens the door. I would, my theory is sacrifice, self, selflessness, opens the door to deeper, loving relationships. So, I want to shift here a little bit. Is it any wonder then that God, who, by the way, one of his greatest desires is to be loved by us. Jesus was asked at one point in his ministry, what's the greatest commandment? And the first thing Jesus said was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
So is it any wonder that God, who desires from us love, would send his Jesus as a servant, servant-oriented, sacrificial Savior for us? And this is what I believe is true. Part of why he did this was so that we would go, gosh, that guy is amazing. I like him. Or more than that, I love him for who he is. In John 15, 13, it says of, it's a, it's a scripture that can be applied to Jesus. It says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's what Jesus did. In Matthew 20, 28, it says of Jesus, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give. Jesus, in his ministry, he often worked all day long. He often would adjust his schedule sacrificially to help whoever needed help. Ultimately, he went to the cross, which is the greatest example of sacrifice ever. And that was, I believe, and it's, it is true. It's beyond whether I believe it or not. It was in hopes that we would see Jesus recognize his heart and be in love with him. So hold that thought. We're in this series called Audience of One. We're trying to increase our lordship, and maybe today we could make up a word and, and we could call it loveship, which is not really a word, but I made it up. Like we would love him more, and so we're, what we're going to do is look at a scenario in Jesus' life where we, we get to see into his sacrificial heart. And it is just before he's going to go to the cross and die for our sin. And he goes to a garden and he's going to pray. And he's not looking forward to what's going to happen to him on the cross. But we can see his response. And it's quite, I think, self, uh, self-sacrificing. Sure. Sacrifice. Huh? Sac- self-sac. He gave up a lot. Okay, so he's getting ready to go to the cross. He's in a garden. He's overwhelmed. He needs to pray. So beginning in verse 36 of Matthew 26, it says, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will but as you will. I'll say it again. Jesus is looking at the cross. He knows what's going to be happening. And this is a basic prayer of, I don't want to do this. But I, but I will if I have to for the sake of the cause. Verse 40. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And then there's kind of this famous little verse, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. I want to do a, just a little pause, a little free added little thing here. When he's talking about this cup, because I, I just think it's interesting, he says, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, what he's talking about is the cup of God's wrath. In other words, because of the sinfulness of humanity, someone's going to have to endure a cup of wrath, of punishment. And so Jesus is like so passionate in, in hoping that God's wrath will not be poured out on people. He's saying, if the only way we can get rid of this cup is me drink it for them, then I'll do it. But the whole time he's like, but I really don't want to. But he wants, does that make sense? Got it? Nobody? Yeah? Thanks, I appreciate you nodding your head and pretending you're listening. No, you get it? Be horrible. The cup of God's wrath. May your will be done. Verse 43. When he came back, he again found them, the disciples, sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he turned, returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So the title of the talk is The Power of Love. And the idea is there are characteristics in Jesus that really should make us just love him. And so I want to explore two things that I see in the text. Let me pray. God, I pray that these ideas would sink into our hearts, our spirits, so much so that even 15, 20 minutes from now, we would love you more or we would be reminded about how awesome you are and maybe even for the rest of our lives, our love for you would be a little deeper than it is right now. Talk to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, two things that I see in Jesus that, that in my mind, I frame it like, oh, you just got to love him because, ready? And the first thing is you got to love Jesus because he served beyond emotional barriers. If you want to put emotional barriers, there's a place on your handout. We don't have a fill in the blank this week, but... You know, he, he served beyond emotional barriers. Oh, that coffee's good, Kathy. You nailed it. Beyond emotional barriers. We're going to talk a little bit about the, how the idea of emotionally, we'll include physically in here too, most people would have not gone on and did what he did. They would have stopped. In... Verse 38, when he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, that's a big emotional barrier. Overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. The New American Standard translated, it's the same word, it, it just says, he says, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. The sentence has several uh, Greek words in the original language. Here's what some of them look like. It's, so I've summed it up with, 
right now he is confessing. He is so emotionally and spiritually, emotionally and physically spent that he's hitting the wall. Have you ever been to the place where you're so tired, let's just go physically, so tired physically where someone says, come on, and you say no. Like, I'm done. Have you ever experienced that? Some of you think, yeah, when I get out of bed in the morning, I, you know, they say, can you know, go, come, all, come all the way to the, you go, no, okay. You know what I mean, though? I was trying to think of an example in my life. We as a family have come up with a tradition now. We've done it several years. And on Thanksgiving morning, we do, uh, they call it the turkey trot. It's like, a, it's a 5K run. Did you, did, you, have, did you do it? Have you done it? Don't. It's horrible. It hurts. Um, so we're doing this thing. I don't know who came up with this tradition. It's actually kind of fun. Uh, so we did, we've got a picture of, because this year it was canceled. So my amazing wife came up with a course in one of the parks. So we did it as a family anyway. So but, but long story short, my wife and I went out like a week before Thanksgiving, and we were doing a training run, which sounds way more intense than it was. <laughs> yeah, we're out for our training run, getting ready for our 5K. Anyway, we're doing this little route, and uh, we get to this one point, and I would like to say where we, we had this big hill to climb. It really wasn't. It was just a little incline. <laughs> but we had been running for, I don't know, a mile or a mile and a half, and I would still like my wife to think I am young and strong and you know how hard it was for me as she's going along and I basically, I could show you the spot where I said, I'm done. <laughs> I'm walking. And I'm like, I just, which I'm just getting old or whatever. I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. So she looked at me like a pathetic loser and kept running. No, she was kind. But have you ever been in a place where you're like, I just can't? Maybe you were sick and you're like, I can't get out of bed. Well, Jesus is at that spot. By the way, Jesus has been going and going and going and going and going and going and going physically, not just for a day or two, but for weeks and arguably months and even all three years where he was doing ministry. There are times he fell asleep when you would think, how can he sleep in a boat during a storm? All right, so he's physically spent, but not just physically, he's emotionally spent, like to the point of death, I would argue. Have you ever been emotionally spent? I had a, uh, when I thought of this, I, first of all, I was grateful because I thought in my life, I have not faced some of the emotional stresses that some people have faced. I have a friend whose toddler died by drowning in the bathtub. And I remember as he described it, thinking, I don't remember his exact words, but I think he was describing, I just couldn't go on. It's just too painful to go on. And maybe you've had a tragedy like that. Those both physical and emotional hitting the wall, Jesus is having that like on steroids because of the amount of physical work he's been doing. And emotionally now, he's been told by the Holy Spirit, he totally knows what's coming over the next 24 hours. He's going to, by the way, and it's not just the physical things where he's going to get 
beaten and spit on and he's going to be called names and ultimately he's going to die on the cross. It's not just that. Uh, this was a new thought for me. Emotionally, now get this. Try to, try to fathom this. Emotionally, he has to go, go through all that and not sin one time. Have you ever thought about that? Because if he sins, when someone spits on him, if he spits back or gets angry or retaliates, which would be the natural flesh, if he does that, he screws up the whole salvation process. And I wonder, I don't know if it's true, but I wonder if part of his emotional, at the end of his rope is, God, I don't know if I can get through this and not respond in a sinful way. And you add to the picture, some of us could probably make it through torture. We, I mean, if you had to, you would just do it. But Jesus had all the power to short-circuit the whole process and just, right? He wouldn't have had to stay on the cross. He could have just went, I'm done. And I'm going to beat the crap out of you guys for putting me up here. Sorry, I maybe shouldn't say that. Does that, no, none of you feel that way? Don't you, Right? If someone was beating you and falsely accusing you, and yet, so that's, Jesus is facing all that stuff. Oh, just to add to the challenge of the picture, in Luke chapter 22, it describes his anguish in the garden and says his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground, which is a reference to a condition called hematohydrosis. It's sweating blood through the pores of your skin, and it's not been observed just with Jesus. It's super rare, but it's connected to extreme physical and emotional stress. That's what he's going through. And you know what makes me love him? Is the fact that he is going through all that, and he doesn't stop. In fact, verse 39 is my inspirational verse in this story, because it says, going a little further. He tells his disciples, I'm overwhelmed to the point of death. And instead of saying, so I quit, he says, I'm going a little further. Here's the idea. It'll come up on the screen if you want to make a note of some kind. Even when Jesus is facing the ultimate resistance, Jesus decides to keep going. He decides to keep going. And if you need a feel-good moment in your life, why in the world does he keep going? He keeps going for you. That's why. He keeps going for us. By the way, it's not just you. He keeps going for the sake of opening a door to salvation to the world. We already looked at John 15, 13. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's what he wants to be to you. John 3.16, perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world, which includes you. In Romans 5.8, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So when God, can we go back to the, there's a couple images of marathon runners. Maybe you've seen pictures of marathon runners. They get to the end of the race and then their body gives out. And instead of quitting, they just like they crawl across the finish line, you know, must finish. The, no, have you ever seen anything like that? Like they do that? It's, this is like Jesus 
Everything's given out, but he crawls across the last 24 hours of the finish line. Why? Because your salvation and my salvation is on the other side of the finish line. Man, you got to love that guy. Or ought to. I want to finish this point by bringing it into the room, kind of giving you a challenge. Have, here's a question. Have I ever responded to Christ's emotional sacrifice? Have you ever thanked God, not for his physical death on the cross, which is totally appropriate, but have you ever thought of how many times he has been emotionally stretched because of us and he didn't quit? Can, can, and can we just get real, right? How many times have you emotionally stressed God? Like he looked down at you when you were in your sin or you were, you know, living your life away from God. You didn't care what he thought. How many times legitimately God could have looked down and thought, man, you're an irritating little brat. Anybody? I mean, really? You'd, and 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 yet, instead of just, you know, taking your little bobblehead and going, Pfft, he just went, cow, oh, I'll put up with you. And keep reaching out to us, keep offering us hope and grace. All right, so you got to love Jesus because he served beyond emotional barriers. One other thing is he acted in spite of everyone else. And I want to talk about the reality in the text. He does this, enters into this time of prayer, goes to the cross all by himself. He does invite the disciples. He says in verse 38, stay here and keep watch with me. And he says that especially with the three, arguably the three closest friends he has. He says, you guys, he takes them a little farther. He says, will you keep watch with me? Will you be praying with me? And I'm sure they probably went, oh yeah, oh yeah, sure Lord. But all three times when Jesus comes back, they're just sleeping. It's in, in verse 40, 43, 45, he returns the disciples are sleeping. He comes back again, finds them sleeping. Comes back the third time, you're still sleeping. And where I'm heading with this point is, one of the attractive attributes of Jesus is his willingness to be the only faithful person. If you want to write it down in a simpler fashion, like he's the only perfectly faithful man. It doesn't mean that we can't have moments of faithfulness, but so many times, I think if you assess life, he's the only one who doesn't take giant sleeping breaks. And just so you know, Jesus does this so many times in the Gospels where people will be in a situation and it's like the whole world is against them except for Jesus will be on their side, in their corner. I want to give you a couple examples. In John 8, you can explore the story of a woman who's caught in the act of adultery, and a, and a group of men bring her before the Lord, and they say, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? 
Long story short, the crowd says she's guilty. The law says she's guilty. And Jesus says, wait a minute. And he comes up with this phenomenal way to basically say, okay, okay, okay. But the, whoever's without sin gets to throw the first stone. And that was her out. All the people were attacking except for Jesus was on her side. By the way, the disciples were there. There's no record of them saying anything helpful. I don't know. They're just watching. But Jesus was faithful, gracious to her. Another one in Luke 8, there's a a man whose daughter is really, really, really sick. And so he goes to find Jesus. He gets Jesus' attention. They're on their way to his house, but his little girl dies. So somebody from the house sends a messenger and basically interrupts. His name's Jairus. And, and they say to him, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. How depressing is that moment? You've done all this energy. You're trying to get Jesus to come because you know he's got the power to heal her. And so the news and the circumstances are against Jairus. But Jesus said to Jairus in verse 50, don't be afraid. Everybody else is like, right, nothing good. And he says, don't be afraid, just believe. Which is Jesus' way of saying, in my words, Jesus is saying, don't be afraid. I got you. And I had this thought yesterday. I wonder if Jesus didn't wink when he said it. Like, by the way, the Bible doesn't say he winked. But I wonder if Jesus didn't say, hey, don't be afraid. You know, just believe. Like, I got you. You, Right? Nobody else has given him any hope, but he's like, I got you. And then Jairus says, did you just wink at me? Jesus said, yeah. Let's just keep going. I got you. I just made that up. It's because of this wonderful coffee, Kathy getting these amazing ideas. By the way, it doesn't say he winked. But he definitely communicated, I got you, Jairus. Everybody else is saying it's all bad, but listen, I'm here. There's one, one other story you can see. find this in most of the Gospels. A woman breaks open a jar of very expensive perfume. Some records say that she poured it on his feet. Others, she poured it on his head. But all of the comments in all of the reports are against her. Some people that are in the situation say she's sinful. Others get irritated with her and say she's making a scene. And the the disciples, some of them even say she's wasting money because it was really expensive. Everybody is against this woman except Jesus says in Mark 14, 6, leave her alone. But wouldn't that be neat if you were the woman and everybody's, you know, oh, quit it. And then the voice of God says, leave her alone. She's, and it goes on to say, he says, she's done a beautiful thing. Jesus is the only voice saying it. We bring this into the room. I would think that most of us, if you've matured in your walk with God, Um, been a Christian for a while, you have probably experienced moments like this when the world will tell you, the predominant voice will say, it's over. 
And the voice of the Lord, Jesus Christ, will come along and say, no, it's not. Or your experience will say, no one cares. And the Spirit of God will come up and say, I do. Or the voices in your head will say, wow, you're a mess. You know, actually they'll say it, you know, wow, I'm a mess. Gosh, I'm horrible. And blah, blah, blah. And then the voice of the Lord will come and say, I like you. It's in Jesus' nature. The idea in the fill in the blank is when all else fails, Jesus shows up. By the way, if you don't have this experience with Christ, this God of hope, lean into relationship with God because you get to know the God of the Bible. He is the God. Is Is he always happy, huggy all the time? No, but he consistently is the God who brings hope into your life when everybody else would say there is none. He will say, oh yes, there is because of his power, because of his love, because of his commitment. Oh yes, there is hope. And for that reason, gosh, we should love him. So to finish up our time, I would just challenge you to ask yourself the question, how am I doing at loving God? And just challenge and invite you to make a commitment today of responding to his goodness and his his selfless nature and just decide, I love you. And if you love him like a 3.5, then bounce it up to a 4.5 today. Just go, man, I love that guy. And I would uh, invite you, one way to kind of move that up would be even today, just do something extra to express your love for God. Go on a 15-minute walk. Go on, I don't know if this is a thing. Go on a love walk with God today. It's supposed to be fairly nice out. Just go for a walk. And as you go for, you know, leave your apartment, go someplace and just didn't, Just go for a walk, and when you go, say, God, I'm just going to take a walk, and I'm going to try to focus on you. Why? Because I love you. Or if you you know, if if you're too afraid to walk because you'll hit the wall, right, physically, you'll be like, I can't walk that far, then go for a drive. Or do something that just is an expression of your response to God's sacrifice, which is love. Wouldn't it be cool if there was like a thousand people in our community today that took 15 minutes of extra time to tell God that we love him? I think it'd be amazing. Why don't you stand? We'll move into a time of prayer.